Just because a government agency or company did not have a crisis today, there's no guarantee that they won't have a crisis tomorrow. I'm Edward Siegel, a leadership strategy senior contributor for Forbes.com and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. My guest today is Paul Washington, who's the executive director of the Conference Board's Environmental, Social, and Governance Center. He's here to discuss the challenges, issues, and obstacles that organizations can face when responding to a crisis. Welcome to the show, Paul. Uh, delighted to be with you. Thanks so much, Edward. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your background? Sure. Um, before joining the ESG Center here at the Conference Board, I've done several rounds of uh, duty in government, as well as working at the Dime Savings Bank of New York, which I joined in 1989, just as the SNL crisis hit. And then I worked at Time Warner starting in 1999 for about 20 years. And I joined just uh, before the merger with AOL, which brought about the greatest destruction in shareholder value in the history of the world until that point. And then we also had uh, government investigations, Carl Icahn trying to take us over, Rupert Murdoch trying to take us over. So yeah, I've, I've been around the block. The conference board recently released its annual C-suite outlook. And I know it took a deep dive in terms of different types of crisis situations that companies and organizations are going through. What were some of the major findings of that part of the report? Well, sure. Um, this is a survey of almost 700 CEOs and 1,100 C-suite executives around the world. And we talked about the main challenges that companies are facing externally and their priorities internally. And when it comes to crisis management, a couple big headline findings. We asked CEOs how well they thought their companies were prepared for 15 different types of crises. And a majority, a majority of CEOs around the globe said that they are not well prepared for any of those 15 crises. So that suggests a crisis in crisis management. Another big takeaway from the report is that there is a noticeable gap between what CEOs say about their preparedness for a crisis and what their C-suite, the rest of their direct reports say. And actually, CEOs are more pessimistic about their company's uh, preparedness for a crisis than the rest of the C-suite. That's unusual because usually CEOs are more optimistic than other executives. What accounts for that level of pessimism among the CEOs? You know, I think some of this is, is actually a bit of ignorance, um, frankly. Um, and I'm not saying that in a pejorative sense. I'm just saying that CEOs may not know the depth of preparation that's underway at their organization um, relating to different types of crises. They just may not be familiar with it. But I also think it's, it's because they, they may not be talking enough with their direct reports about the risks the companies are facing, the types of crises that may come about, and the company's uh, plans to address them. So I, I think I think it's the you know I think actually if companies CEOs and their direct reports spent more time talking about the real crises that they might face and what the level of preparedness is, um, I think uh, there'd be a higher comfort level. Paul, what were some of the specific crisis situations that the report took a look at? Sure. Um, so one of them is is cybersecurity, um, and there 
you know, only 41% of CEOs around the world thought that they were prepared for a cyber incident. Many of the other types of crises are not company specific, but more sort of economy wide. So um, a pandemic, inflation, recession, um, a supply chain shortages um, or disruptions, um, geopolitical instability, um, uh, nuclear escalation, those sorts of things that affect um, not just a single company at a time, but basically all companies. Of course, a crisis can happen at any time, anywhere, to any organization without any warning at all. But do you think there's a difference between how a federal agency responds to a crisis and how a company in the private sector responds? Yeah, and it depends on the type of crisis, too. Um, like I think it, it may seem a little cliche, but I think companies uh, tend to be more agile in responding to a crisis. Um, and they... Um, and you know because they don't have the the bureaucracy to deal with internally. Um, I also think that you know another difference is that you know if it's a crisis, for example, at the top of an organization where the leader needs to re be replaced, why a company is much more readily able to replace a CEO than government is able to replace its leaders. So there's a greater uh, ability uh, to move quickly and flexibly there. Um, I also think that there's another type of um, issue that comes about with government that doesn't come about with companies. You know, at a company, the officers and directors are required to uh, fulfill their duty of loyalty and duty of care to the organization. And while um, government officials take an oath to uphold the Constitution, you can actually have people within the, within the government, right, who are um, sometimes creating a crisis because you also have political parties who disagree. You don't have those same sort of dynamics within a company, either in creating crises or responding to crises. So how do companies that may might, and organizations that might face their biggest risk of a crisis from within the building, within the house, if you will, how do they prepare for it and deal with it when that crisis happens? You know, um, if it does come from within, and it can come from within in many different sorts of ways, I mean, you, you want to have, for example, an emergency CEO succession plan in place. If a crisis is coming elsewhere from within the organization, um, you know, there are different ways of, 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 of planning for that sort of thing. Um, but generally, within a company, the, it, it's, not, it's not a self-generated crisis where it's an attack on the institution itself. Within government, you can have attacks on government itself and its very existence and reason for being coming from within the government. Well, while the response might differ depending upon if you're in the private sector or the government sector, is there anything at all that those in federal agencies can learn from uh, companies and organizations uh, in the private sector uh, and vice versa? Yeah, I think there are some lessons. I, look, if you think about, you should think about crisis management as part of the broader picture of organizational resilience. So that begins with understanding um, the company's or organization's mission and having a broad risk assessment of all the different types of risks you might face. And those are risks that can come either internally or externally. They can come from different stakeholders um, and they come, come in different flavors. So you know, companies are now taking a broader view of the types of risks they may face um, than in the past. So you have a big picture of the different types of risks. 
The next thing you need to do is to make sure you're prepared for a crisis in those areas where you've got uh, risk exposure. And then you do tabletop exercises and so forth. And then another thing you need to do is make sure you've got business continuity planning to make sure that you can continue to operate during the crisis. And then probably the most, one of the most important things you can do in all of this, which frankly companies aren't always all that good at, is to do a post-mortem. You know, once the crisis has passed, you need to assess how you responded, what worked, what didn't work, what lessons can be learned, and you gotta make sure you do that when the memories are fresh, and you've gotta do that discussion at the top of the house whether it's the board or C-suite, it's gotta be right there because those are the people who are actually on the front lines often dealing with the crisis. They take over the crisis management when it happens. And those are the people who have to say, this is what we learned. You cannot put off the note taking, you cannot delegate it several levels down in an organization. But should those who were affected by the crisis, should they be the same ones who were investigating the cause of the crisis and the response to it? Or should they look for outside help, counsel, and an outside investigator? I'm not sure you necessarily need an outside investigator, but it is very helpful to have people who are often a step removed from, um, from handling the crisis itself do a post-mortem. Obviously, the people involved need to be interviewed. But this is why having a risk management function at a company, which is just, you know, it's not like your compliance function, but it is one step removed from the day-to-day -day operations, is a good place to conduct these uh, and store the knowledge of the crisis uh, experience, because frankly, how you dealt with that crisis will inform what you should do to prepare for the next one. So having your risk management function either internally or an outside person help can be very useful. And what steps could an organization take to learn from what happened in that crisis and apply it so it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I, I think one of the most important things you can do is actually to have a candid discussion. Um, both you can do the interviews, but I actually think a candid group discussion is very helpful. It's really important for a CEO or anyone else to create a safe space to, uh, to share the, the, the lessons learned from a crisis and not to keep those lessons, by the way, siloed because the lessons from one crisis can really apply to multiple other areas as well. Um, so what you might learn from a cyber crisis may also be relevant to how you handle shareholder activism and, and so on. I mean, some of those lessons are important, uh, are, are transferable. You know, the other thing to, to think about in crisis management is do you take your main leaders off their day jobs to handle the crisis, or do you have a deputy um, to that main leader serve as part of your crisis management team? I've seen it work both ways very well, but it's something to take into consideration, especially if a crisis is going to go on for a while. You may not want to have the chief financial officer, the chief legal officer, and others directly involved day to day. You may want to have a lot of it handled by their deputies. If those people are distracted by the crisis, could that create still another crisis for the organization? Yeah, very much so. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why, for example, at Time Warner, when Carl Icahn was uh, waging a uh, threatening a proxy contest against us, what we did is we had, uh, it was in that case, it was a group of deputies who got together to make sure that, um, you know, not everyone was taken away. Now that's from their main jobs to 
to handle it. Now, one of the troubles is, of course, when there's a crisis, you got a lot of people around the room wanting to prove that they're smart, they want to be heroes, they all want to sort of gravitate to the crisis to help uh, address it. And um, that's not always uh, the healthy thing to do, especially if the crisis goes on for a while. Back on the federal level, FEMA is often one of the first agencies to get involved in the crisis and respond to the crisis. What kind of job do you think they've been doing lately with the series of natural disasters that have been uh, raging across the country? Yeah, it's a great question, Edward. And look, I'm not an expert on uh, FEMA's responsiveness or not, but I will tell you that one of the things that we hear from the corporate community, from our members, is that when it comes to natural disasters, there is often a big gap that exists between when a crisis occurs and when the Red Cross leaves and when the money, um, whether from insurance or from FEMA, actually shows up on site to help do the repairing and rebuilding. And so companies are increasingly called on to fill that gap that exists uh, before the dollars start flowing again. So I think there's work that can be done frankly, between the corporate sector and government to figure out how communities don't feel like they're left in the lurch for a while once the TV cameras go away. But how does a CEO know it's the best thing to do and the right time to do it to get involved and help uh, fill a gap that might have been created by FEMA or something that needs to be done after FEMA leaves the scene? Yeah, I mean, the a way to know that that's, I mean, that, um, that, their help is needed, and companies are doing this increasingly, is to make sure that they've got strong existing networks, uh, uh, contact networks with nonprofit organizations and local government agencies on the ground in the communities where they operate and where they may be asked to, to respond. So, you know, you can't just develop those relationships during a crisis, you have to cultivate those relationships um, in advance so that there are the lines of communication and trust exist in advance. Well, in terms of taking a look at the big picture of crisis situations, what are the biggest challenges for federal agencies and the private sector in responding to a crisis? So I think that one of the biggest challenges that we're facing, and we've all been experiencing it lately, are that Crises um, are occurring simultaneously. They are interconnected. So if you think about the war in Ukraine um, is connected to uh, supply chain disruptions, which leads to inflation, which leads to the central banks raising rates, which leads to an economic slowdown. So you have multiple crises, they're interconnected, and often they're going on longer than anyone expected. The war in Ukraine is an example of that. I mean, it's because of the valiant defense being put on by the Ukrainians, but it's, it, you know, it illustrates that what might seem like a time-confined crisis at one point can go on and can, in fact, evolve over time. So I think those, the nature of crises today are different, perhaps, from the past. Um, also, um, companies are responding and governments are responding under intense scrutiny these days by multiple stakeholders, whether if you're at a company, it's your investors, it's your employees, your customers, they are looking and judging at everything you do along the way, saying whether you went too far or you didn't go far enough. So there's a heightened scrutiny and a heightened degree of difficulty in responding to crises these days generally. So I think um, it's all the more important for people to 
you know, for executives at companies and government leaders to expect crisis, right? When you're planning for the future, plan for crises to occur. Look at where they may occur and how they could be interconnected, um, you know, and then approach them with humanity and humility. But on that point, Paul, how many companies have actually planned for a crisis? What percentage of corporate America do you think has a crisis management plan in place to activate uh, when it's necessary? Uh, so basically every company in the U.S., every public company or major company in the U.S. has crisis management plans of some sort, business continuity plans of some sort. Um, the real question is whether they're the right kinds of plan for that company. I mean, I, I can tell you, I've worked for firms where the crisis management plan was so broad in its definition of a crisis. A crisis was anything that could harm the reputation of the firm. And then there was a crisis management group that was supposed to get together to handle the crisis. Well, that's not a particularly useful crisis management plan because you've just basically said that pretty much every day at the office is going to be another crisis, right? And then this crisis management team steps in. So I think you really have to have, what you have to have is um, uh, an overall framework for how you approach a crisis uh, and, you, and you've got to be ready for certain types of crises and have sort of more specific plans there. Um, but, you know, you can't have this one sort of generic crisis management plan. It just doesn't work. You have to have a general approach for, okay, if there's a crisis, you've got to identify it, you've got to assess the, the damage, you've got to uh, mitigate the damage, all those sort of basic steps you do in any crisis. You've got to communicate about it. And so you have the overall framework for how you approach crises. Then you have specific guidance for different types of likely crises. Um, but again, one of the things that's really important is not to have these crisis management plans either be so generic or be so buried in the organization that the people who are really called on to deal with the crisis, who are often the CEO and, the, and her direct reports, um, are you know, just winging it because there's this written plan that exists five levels down in an organization that literally they've never read. Well, having a plan is one thing, but making sure it'll work when necessary is something else. What are the important steps that companies should take to make sure their plans work before they're needed? Well, look, there is no substitute for doing tabletop exercises, um, whether it's in cybersecurity, um, shareholder activism. Like companies can go through and say, what happens if an activist shows up and tries to take over the company? Workplace violence, um, a climate disaster. Okay, this 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 uh, plant is down, or you know, especially today. Now, you know, all of our employees are working from home and maybe that whole region, none of them can work from home, right? So you've got to worry about um, a, a broader array of physical locations that can be disrupted. It's not just, you know, your headquarters any longer. So I think, um, you know, you, you, you want to do those sort of tabletop exercises. And sometimes one of the things that's interesting about tabletop exercises is it makes clear, you know, who doesn't need to be involved. Right. And so sometimes when you're working with a board of directors and doing a tabletop exercise for cybersecurity, they realize that there's not much more much of a role for them to play. They should just be kept informed and so forth, but they don't actually need to be distracted by the crisis. Of course, the old saying is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Are there steps that uh, federal agencies and those in the private sector can take to help mitigate or reduce 
or eliminate the risk of having a crisis in the first place? Well, almost nothing will eliminate the risk of a crisis, as I think we all know. Um, but I think to, to mitigate them, yes. And I think the best, um, the, the best uh, things to do are to have a real robust, robust risk assessment process um, to make sure that that is built into your every year um, planning process, whether it's your budgeting process, your strategic planning process, uh, your capital allocation process, to have risk management, risk assessment built in early on and to say what happens if those risks turn into a crisis. So it's it's part of, you know, core business planning shouldn't just be the separate siloed thing that this bureaucracy that's tasked with risk management does, but it's got to be built into your your core business or government processes. I'm glad that, you know, the bipartisan legislation was passed in December and signed into law in December to require um, having OMB basically have the federal agencies build preparedness for a, um, a, an environmental crisis into, um, into their uh, real property plans. I mean, that's a small step in the right direction, but it is a step in the right direction. Looking down the road, are there certain kinds of crises that are not even on anyone's radar screen today that could be a major issue for them tomorrow? Yes, I think there are. And I'll just toss one out there. Um, and maybe this also relates back to your question on how to prepare for it. I think we're on the threshold of a sustainability transformation of the economy that is uh, equal to and maybe even more consequential than the digital transformation of the economy. And so companies you know, and government agencies need to think about what the transition to renewable energy um, to more environmentally and socially responsible practices and businesses uh, in general will mean because if they don't do this now, they are going to be disrupted by those who, who, who are you know, uh, ahead of the, the incumbents in this area. So I think a crisis that could come down the line for a lot of companies are the disruptors who are actually leaders in sustainability who could throw the incumbents off track. And so one of the ways to prepare for that kind of potential disruption, and look, we saw it in the media industry, we will see it in oil and gas, we'll see it in a variety of industries where the disruptors are gonna become the new incumbents. So if you're an incumbent, how do you prepare for that disruption? Why, you look at it as a business, op you look at the sustainability transition as a business opportunity and not just a risk. So that may be one, one lesson in terms of preparedness. If you do a risk assessment, look out there and see how those risks can be turned into opportunities, and then you plan for those opportunities. That'll help you avoid a crisis. I'm afraid we're almost out of time today, Paul. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we end today? I would just say that um, it goes against human nature <laughs> to be prepared for a crisis or to spend much time when you're done with a crisis reflecting on the lessons learned. So this is hard for people to do. But I think, because you don't want to plan for a crisis, right? And once you have a crisis, everyone wants to get back to their emails that all built up when they were busy working on the crisis. But I think um, you know, building into planning and taking the time to reflect on the lessons learned is, is really invaluable. 
That's it for today's edition of the Crisis Ahead podcast. My guest was Paul Washington, the Executive Director of the Conference Board's Environmental, Social, and Governance Center. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on preparing for, managing, and recovering from a crisis. Or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you are prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.